0: This is the City Sides Podcast with Larry Kutzler. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've studied the Word of God for a long time. I thought it would be rather obvious who Jesus was and what he's about, but I'm discovering from churches to churches that I've had a, the chance to go to, preach in, work with the pastors, that the Jesus most people have in their mind and in their heart is not always the Jesus of the Bible. It's much more from their tradition, or what I call their imagination, or their personal desires. But to really submit to the Jesus of the Bible is a whole different story.
1: This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to CitySitesUrbanMedia.com.
2: one of my favorite persons is in a studio with me today. I really respect this guy because he's been a seasoned pastor. He's got some great thoughts and he he drives the nail deep into the wood, if you know what I mean by that. He drives the stake deep. When we talk about Jesus, theological things, the church, and Tom Parish is his name, and Tom has been a pastor. He's an author. He's a Bible commentator. Gosh, what else are you? <laughs> Just a husband,
0: a yeah. father, okay. and grandfather, which All is right. one of my greatest honors. Oh
2: yeah, so you've been around the horn, Tom, and I want to talk to you today about this verse, and it's important, and I'll explain that why in a second. It comes out of Second Corinthians eleven four. It says, "You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different." Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel <laughs> than the one that you believed. You know, there's different, different, different there, isn't there, Tom? There
0: absolutely is. And
2: today, we have different gospels being preached. Before I have you answer that question about what that different gospel is, you wrote a book, and you preach a message about Jesus of your imagination. I think that fits into what we're going to talk yes. about. What is the Jesus of your imagination?
0: Well. It's going to the, uh, the Bible and finding a selective verse or a couple of verses that really fit your worldview, your desires, what you want out of life, and then somehow thinking you have Jesus' authority to do this, when in reality what you're doing is that you take a small portion and then you create a Jesus that doesn't exist and this Jesus is there for you in the sense of uh, you can have whatever you want. You're going to have your best life now, all that kind of stuff. And he really is not going to let you suffer. He's going to save you from all difficulty or problems. Your family doesn't have to worry about the chaos of the world because, after all, you're going to be protected at every place and every time. And it's a very convenient gospel that doesn't ask very much out of me. I don't have to do a great deal except bask in the light of his love, and therefore I can do anything I want. I mean, if if I cheat on my wife, well, he's gracious. And he'll forgive you. He'll forgive me. You know, if I don't follow through on what I said I'm going to do, well, yeah, that's just human nature, and he understands that. What we do is we basically the Jesus of our imagination is me attempting to make myself God. That's really what I'm about. Really? Because I'm trying to create my world, my philosophy, my boundaries, and I want everybody else to adhere to that. And I use Jesus' name to get there, but I'm not submitting to the real Jesus. And as a result, I'm difficult to live with. I'm not easy to be around. I can be demanding. I have very little forgiveness and I'm determined to do exactly what I want to do when I want to do
2: it. You know, Pastor Tom, I know and that your experience in the pulpit, your experience with churches, you've run into people like this, and it's people who have Jesus in their head. So they know the scriptures, they know the principles, the values, all of that, but it hasn't ever transferred into their heart. And and oftentimes those are very traditional type Christians. They yes. have a tradition, they love their tradition, they love it everything about the tradition, but they really, really don't know Jesus from the heart. Talk to us about that.
0: Over the last 40 years of ministry, I saw what you're talking about emerge over and over again. People had the right words. They could say the creed. They knew the Lord's Prayer. They could talk about John 3.16 without too much trouble. But it didn't really change their character. It didn't really change their inner behavior. You know, they could be publicly this most wonderful person who loves the Lord, and privately they're a different person altogether. We've seen that too often. What I tried to do and what the Lord kind of opened me up to is that our goal is not just to learn Scripture to learn Scripture. You know, people often say, you know, Pastor, I read the Bible in a year. And I'll say, great, how it changed your life? Because it's not just a matter of reading three chapters every day to get through in a year. It's a matter of pursuing Jesus. And when I met my wife, Jan, at the University of Toledo, I saw her in the cafeteria. Now, you have to understand, Larry, I had never met her before, had never talked to her. She got up from another table to go up and get something, and I flipped. Something in me clicked. I flipped for her at that moment, and I began to pursue her. And it took two and a half years, but eventually she said yes, and now we've been married 49 years. The bottom line is this. Have you flipped for Jesus? In other words, is he the passion of your life? Because my goal, Larry, is not how many scripture verses I've memorized or how much of church history I understand, which I think is all good. I'm all for that But my goal is to be like Jesus To know him To be like him To talk like him To think like him To do exactly what he is And that is the goal I'm really working now On everybody I work with To really go passionately After the Lord Jesus And I want people to know him Because here's the thing I don't have to monitor people in the church If they're passionately following Jesus What I mean by that is They're not going to be going In different directions from our mission We're going to be working side by side Larry, when I come and see you It's like you and I have been friends all our life. Mm -hmm. I can pick up a conversation with you and we're on the same page because I've come to respect you because you are also passionate for Jesus. You love him. Mm. And here's the problem. I think most Christians do what I call myopic Bible reading. That is, they, they find a verse they like or they don't like and they try to build their theology around that. I keep telling people, back up. Look at the whole Bible. Look at the whole New Testament. Look at how Jesus dealt with these things. And listen to the claims he made. I look at those seven claims in the Gospel of John that Jesus makes. How does that affect my life right now? The other thing I do is I tell people, how often do you talk to Jesus personally when you're not in church? And I've had people look at me who are actually board members, mm-hmm. and they'll say, well, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, I, I pray before I eat. you know." No, no. How much do you actually talk to him? Mm-hmm. And for some people, Larry, it's a mystery. Where I learned long ago, I need to be talking to Jesus all the time. I probably talk to Jesus more than I talk to my wife, my kids, and my grandkids. And I love them dearly. But I'm in a running conversation because in this life and for the time I have, I want to know him, think like him, see like him, behave like him, and change other people's lives the way he does.
2: So in essence, Pastor Tom, then really you're saying that your Bible reading, your interaction with Jesus, in the church should really be a measurement of change. You should be changed if you are interacting with the true biblical Jesus, not just a cognitive or a a, a Jesus we've learned through tradition or rote. So can you define for us, and you've been sort of doing that already, but can you define for us this truly biblical Jesus? What, What does he expect out of us?
0: The truly biblical Jesus is one who knows us thoroughly, And because he knows us thoroughly, he still loves us. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I have a great quote that I often use Larry, I have it hanging on my wall at home. I look at it every day, and it, it reminds me. It says, before Jesus called you into ministry, you know, rejoice. He factored in your stupidity. Jesus Ah. knows how I can be stupid. Jesus knows how I can make mistakes, and yet he patiently works with me because my goal is to become like him as well as know him. What I mean by know him is that he's the passion of my life, more than the the Viking football game, more than baseball, more than anything else. He is the passion. He's the one I'm pursuing all the time. And because I'm pursuing him, I want to be just like him. Mm -hmm. And so here's what i found over the years, Larry. And I often ask churches, I do a lot of seminars around the country, And I will say to the people at the the church or at the seminar, in your 30, 40, 50 years in the church, how often has a church leader stood up and said, I have sinned against you and against the Lord when I failed to do this. Please forgive me. I hear silence almost everywhere. My attitude is if you're pursuing Jesus, he's the only one you ultimately have to please. And therefore, you ought to be able to speak honestly to people about your own faults, your shortcomings, because Larry, it's not about you and me. It's about Jesus, and that I think what we keep missing in the church. You know, it is not the pews, it is not you know the altar, it is not the music, it is not all of that. It is Jesus, and when we know Him, it makes all the difference in the world. Because then I'll take risks. I was just reading about Rachel Scott. Mm-hmm. You might remember her from the Columbine massacre back sure. in ninety nine. Young woman, passionately pursuing Jesus, witnessed to people at school all the mm-hmm. time, very straightforward. She witnessed to Dennis Klebold and the other guy who did all the killing many times, and they made fun of her constantly. She was one of the first people they shot when they came into the school. They shot her in the leg, they shot her in the back, and she still wasn't gone. And they rolled her over, and one looked at her and said, hey, you still believe in this God? And she looked at them and said, you know I do, and they shot her in the head. That's the way I want to live, Larry. Mm. That's the way I want to carry out my life, that no matter whether I have good or bad, whether I'm healthy or sick, whether I'm facing life or death, my passion is for Jesus, and I will stand for him over everything else.
2: So often, Pastor Tom, it seems like Jesus has turned into, say, social justice, or he's turned into a prosperity message, or he's changed into some sort of prophecy element. And even though there are certain elements that we are to be perhaps engaged with in some right. of these things, he's not that. And I think his issue is about the gospel, which is, relates to the cross, not social justice, right. not prosperity, not to critical race theory, anything else that sometimes Christians get involved with. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the cross, yeah. Period. Yeah. We associate the gospel with these other things, but that's not really the gospel, is it?
0: No, it's not, because the gospel is surrender to Jesus and following him and doing his will. And I like 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. that really defines our mission. Our mission is to be ministers of reconciliation to a lost world, ambassadors of the gospel. That's what the church is to be about. We do all these other things, feed the hungry and that. That's great. But that's not the goal. The goal is for people to come to know Jesus. My father was a home builder. Mm -hmm. I grew up second grade. I remember my dad showed up at school, picked me up at the end of school, and said, we're going to a job, Tom. And he gave me a hammer and eight penny nails, and I hammered floors that day on, and I did that all through college, and it was a great experience. And I still do woodworking. I visited a gentleman who told me he had a great workshop. I went to his workshop, Larry. I walked in. He must have had 50 hammers hanging on the wall. Mm. He had all kinds of tools. And I looked at him and I said, well, this is incredible. What have you built? Oh, I, I don't have the time. I'm, I'm usually out buying these tools. Isn't that what we do in Christianity? We, know we, we do the social justice. We do the, the woke stuff. We think all of that. But that's like buying more tools. The tool is only there to bring us closer to Jesus so that we reflect him and that we really stand for the truth and live out the truth, not the way the world wants it defined, but the way Jesus wants it defined. Because ultimately, Larry, here's the bottom line. Yes, we live in a cruel world. Yes, I want to help my neighbor. Yes, I want to feed the hungry. But if I don't give them spiritual sustenance, if I don't tell them the truth about Jesus, eternity's a long time, Mm -hmm. and I want to make sure they're there with me.
2: One of the phenomenas in Christianity in the modern church, some have called it the Great Reset, is the church resetting itself somewhat after the culture. So in the culture today, all of us would admit it's an emotional culture. Everything's about feelings and somehow that's come into the church to some degree and it's an emotional experience rather than a knowledgeable experience and so we sometimes trade the emotional for the knowledge now the emotional might get us started having an experience with Jesus may get us started right but ultimately it's the knowledge of God knowing him and knowing him in terms of relationship and in obedience knowing yes. his word and obeying that so that knowledge is something that we have fail to really communicate. And we're much more concerned about the experience. But I'm wondering if that isn't driving us just a little bit below the surface and not really deep. Why don't you answer that?
0: I think it does. And I think where a lot of the problem comes in is Jesus said, the world will truly know you're my disciples if you do what I command you, you know, and if you love one another. He doesn't say if you have the right emotions are the right feelings. You know, after 49 years of marriage, I'm still in love with my wife. Not the same way I was in 1972 when we got married. Those emotions come and go. But it is the choice to love her because Jesus loves me that makes all the difference in the world. I think one of our problems, Larry, is the way we do Bible study in America. Okay. I think it really hurts us and we don't even realize it. It is so knowledge-based That it really doesn't reflect on how you carry this out. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I have developed a new Bible study method, which is being used by quite a few people. And it seems to be working uh, very well. I've got a small church, home church that we run. I do this in the church I go to. I'm part of. I've taught people around the country. It contains three parts. And you could do it on any text of the Bible. So you read the the text, like, you know, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The first question is, what does the text say? So we start with the what, and we define anything in there. What does that word world mean? Well, in the Greek, it means cosmos. Which is a little different than just the earth. It is the entire creation. But it also historically was defined as sinful people. So you've got a combination there. But just from a, just reading it and then jumping off on, oh, how should we live this out? No, start with the what. And we usually spend, we go verse by verse in many of these studies, we spend quite a bit of time there. Then we go to the so what. We've done the what, now we go to the so what. So what does this mean? And we have a fruitful discussion based on the scripture about what to do with this now. What is Jesus really saying that if we believe in him? That we don't have to fear eternal death, that we don't have to fear death itself, that death is the doorway to eternal life, those kind of things. And then the third one is, now what? So we got what, so what, now what? Now what are we actually going to do with it? that will make a difference in my life. And it's been so much fun because I've done this for years now, and I, I remember going through a whole study on forgiveness, and I had a group of men. And one of the guys said, well, I suppose I should try to reconcile with my brother. And we said, well, what happened? Well, my mom died about 10 years ago, and we've been alienated ever since. There were problems over the will, and we just haven't talked. Okay, so what, what are you going to do about that? From what you've heard in the scriptures. What well, Jesus says, I'm supposed to forgive my brother, and I'm supposed to go and talk to him and be reconciled if at all possible. One of the other guys in the group said, okay, what's your plan? And he said, I, I don't have a plan. And one of the other guys said, well, great, we're not leaving here until you do. Mm. And he came up with a plan. We helped him. He came up with a plan. And when he got done with the plan, one of the other guys said, okay, Bill, I'm going to hold you accountable to this. You say you want to do this. When are you going to meet with your brother? Well, I, I, I could, this was a Wednesday, I could call him tonight and see if we get together Saturday for breakfast. Great. I'll call you on Friday to see if you're ready to do it and how things are going, if we need to pray together. So we did that. A week later, he comes back. He said, I never would have believed what just happened. He said, you guys supported me, prayed for me, held me accountable. I went to my brother, called him and said, let's get together. And he said, yeah, I'd like to get together too. We sat down at a restaurant for about three hours and talked and cried And forgave one another. And he said, if I wouldn't have been here in the study last week, I would have gone to my grave at my brother. That's what the real Bible
2: study is about. That's a great illustration. And you'll have to give us more information on this Bible study and how we can get a hold of it or how people can get a hold of it at the end of the program. So coming back to our text today, 2 Corinthians 11, 4. So what kind of gospel, and we've been talking about the modern church a little bit here, Pastor Tom, but what kind of gospel do you think Paul was referring to when he talked about a different gospel or a different spirit than what the corinthian church received when it started what, yeah. what do you think was going on there
0: well there has always been the push among the demons and people to diminish who jesus really is that he's not god or that he was just a good man i love c.s lewis's comment on that in his book mere christianity he said you know calling jesus a good teacher but i don't believe that he's god is the one thing we should never say and I loved where he said, a man like Jesus, if he said these things, when he said these things, is either a man on the level of a man who thinks he's a poached egg or a demon, but he can't be who he says he is if he's that way. Instead, you've got to make up your mind. Does Jesus really define who he was, and we need to adhere to that, or do we define him our own way? And Lewis says, no, we have to define him according to the Bible. You look at the Gospel of John, Larry. There are seven claims of Jesus in there. I am the resurrection, the life. You know, I am the door. We need to begin to look at those and struggle with those. How do I understand that? How do I apply that to my life? The problem with another gospel is the other gospels don't start with Jesus and the Word. They start with current events. They start with pain, they start with emotions, they start with all of these things, and what they try to do is create a theology out of that. What I teach people is, start with what Jesus says, and build your worldview out of that for handling your emotions, handling the conflicts, handling your marriage, handling all of those things. And here's one thing I've done with with couples especially. I've had couples come to me for marital counseling for years, and I've done a lot of that, and I've had a lot referred to me. I have one rule, Larry. You come to me for marital counseling. I will say to you, Larry, you and your wife, if you want to counsel with me, you've got to agree to do one thing every day through counseling. Okay, what's that, Pastor? You two need to pray together for three minutes a day. Larry, you get 90 seconds. Your wife gets 90 seconds. You can't pray about each other. You can only pray about yourself and how you can hear Jesus and do his will. And of course, everybody looks at me cross-eyed when I do that. And then I demonstrate. We actually, I pray with them, show them how to do Mm -hmm. it. But I will tell you this, out of the over 200 Weddings I performed and the premarital, there's only been one divorce in the whole time, and that's over 40 years. Wow. In terms of marital counseling, I still have couples 20, 30 years later will call me or get back to me and say, I don't remember what you said in counseling, but I know it was about Jesus, but we've been praying together every day since, and our marriage has been healed, and it's, we can heal others, and we're doing this with them. So we start with Jesus, not with who we are or what's going on or our feelings, and we let Jesus define the parameters.
2: You know, that is really the crux of our conversation, right there. I mean, that's a mic drop, right? Boom. Let's conclude on where the rubber meets the road, Pastor Tom, because you've been in ministry over 40 years and you've made some mistakes. I'm sure Mm, you have. have. And so if you could talk to us in conclusion today, as if you were addressing a whole seminary group of people about the things you've done that you knew didn't really honor God. Yes. What would those be?
0: I would tell people right from the start, the stories about Jesus It's not about you and me. We make mistakes. We do very stupid things. We fail. Be honest about that. Be honest with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be honest with one another. Because it is, we all make errors. Here's the thing I found. When people live in an atmosphere where people are honest and forgiving one another, there's a lot more patience. There's a lot more kindness. There's a lot more understanding. Because we all recognize that. Where I have problems, Larry, is when I see people doing destructive things in the name of Jesus. And even though they're confronted, they will never admit they're wrong. Mm -hmm. They will never repent of that. And so I continually go back to the scriptures, and every day when I get up, I usually say a prayer to this effect. Jesus, if this is my last day, so be it, but let me live for you, and let the last thing people see in me is the reflection of your reality and presence in the way I talk, the way I think, the way I act, the way I behave. And if I do that every day, hopefully I'm much more that way. And it's refreshing when I see students, because I work with a lot of students, I work with a lot of pastors, when they begin to employ that, because I've gotten some incredible testimonies back about how it changed their marriage or how it changed their life. And I'm not it's not me that's doing this. You know that, Larry. It's the Lord. All I'm doing is trying to reflect what Jesus actually has taught us. You know, talk to him. Tell him your needs. Tell him your your foibles. Tell him your temptations. Be honest, and then be honest with others about yourself. And that doesn't mean you need to dump your garbage every five seconds on people. But it does mean that when you're in those situations where people are, are confronting you or whatever, own what you've done, seek their forgiveness, move on from there, and continue to live for Jesus because that's when Jesus comes becomes real to people when
2: they see it change your life. So, Tom, before you face get... Before you come face-to-face with Jesus, what do you want to accomplish in the rest of your life? What's the one thing you want to say before the Lord, this is what I want to do before I die?
0: I want to be able to help as many people experience the reality of Jesus Become his lifelong disciples, and that reflected in the way they live with one another. Because Jesus is the only thing, Larry, I've come to realize is important. And I've been, as you know, with many people on their deathbed. I've held their hands. I've been there at the last moment. It is amazing. You know, I've never had a person on their deathbed say, Hey, what do you think of those twins? You know, they don't do that. They don't talk about the Dow Jones average or what higher education they're going to get. No, they talk about, I don't know if I'm ready to meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I want people to be ready to meet Jesus. Jesus and go in peace and joy and know that he's there for them because they know the real Jesus now.
2: Pastor Tom, you've been a wonderful guest, as you always are, and you've always inspired our audience. So if somebody was listening to us and said, I like that a Bible study that he talked about, and they want to maybe find out more about you and your ministry, where do they go? Is there a website or yeah. an email address?
0: I have a website, org. Uh, and you're welcome to contact me. And I even, I give out my, my public email. I just don't even worry about that. Tom V, is in Victor Parrish, P-A-R-R-I-S-H, at gmail.com. You contact me, say you want it. I will send you the, the basic teaching on it and how it's done. And I know the people that have done it, Larry, I still am getting feedback from them on a regular basis on how exciting this is, how it's changed in their life. This is the City Sides podcast with Larry Kutzler.
2: 2 Corinthians in chapter 11. See, the Corinthians were pretty carnal and worldly and they had disputes and fights and quarrels. And one of the things Paul told them in 2 Corinthians
0: 11 is they were listening to people who were preaching another Jesus, not another God, not another God of some other religion. no. They're talking about Jesus,
2: but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Another Jesus. And if you go to Christian television today and listen to a lot of those programs, I tell you, many of them are preaching another Jesus. Ask yourself, is this the Jesus the Bible speaks about when these guys speak about, when they ask you for money on television, for example.
0: Where did Jesus ask people for money? That's one single item is enough for me to cancel out somebody completely, never to listen to him. But it's amazing how people are so ignorant
1: of all these things. In recent years, culture has become more influential than the church. Much of the influence is a direct attack on the Bible and the truth. City Sites podcast is designed to bring a different point of view, and we hope you will continue to listen as we make our case. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com